Hello and welcome to Talk Around Town. I'm Stefan Chatwin, and joining me today is Matt Luchenbach. Matt is a Deputy Fire Chief with the City's Fire Department. Thanks for joining us today, Matt. Great to be here. How long have you worked for the Fire Department? So I began my career uh, in one manner or another in 1992 as a volunteer firefighter. Shortly after high school, I, I came from a family of, of local firefighters and I joined up with uh, the volunteer program and and that was it. I was hooked. So this is in your blood then. You've been doing this you can for say that. some time. Yeah, yeah. Grandfathers uh, were part of the volunteer fire departments out in the valley and, and I just kind of grew up in that culture and really seemed like something I'd, I'd enjoy and, and I, I, was, I was correct. So that's uh, 29 years then, is that correct? That With, sounds about right. That's yeah. a long time. It is. You're it the is. old man of the fire department at this point. I am point. one of the old men of the fire department, yes. So all those, all those years, what types of positions have you held and what have you enjoyed the most? As a volunteer firefighter, that's a little different because you have a chance to, to hone your craft, but kind of in a, in a temporary basis and you come down when you're available for the bigger emergencies and you ride along and you, you, you figure out if the job is a fit for you. So um, I, I spent several years as a volunteer and acted as a volunteer firefighter, a volunteer engineer. Those are the folks that drive the fire apparatus, uh, fire captain, and eventually uh, actually took the program over as the battalion chief of the volunteer fire department. So essentially I filled all the roles as a volunteer and then shortly after that I was hired on full-time as a firefighter paramedic. And that was a really neat position because most people think about the firefighter as the person who pulls up to your house when the house is on fire. And that is a very, very important part of our job, but it's also a very, very small part of our job when you look at the, the, the cross sections of this occupation. So paramedicine is a really neat specialized deal. It's, it's emergency medicine. We, we get a lot of training and, and really we're kind of a rolling emergency room in the back of an ambulance. Um, every single firefighter in this city from Chief Velasquez down is a paramedic and that's a that's a, a real proud proud thing for us that's now is that something that's changed I mean I grew up in the 70s watching emergency with uh, you know and one of my favorite shows and yep. you've got the paramedics there yep. their names uh, uh, Johnny and Roy Johnny and Roy there you go and they'd uh, they pull out in their truck and they were the paramedics and yep. they were the guys that were saving lives well has it changed since then? Is everybody a paramedic now or? No, no, it's actually, so that show was, was right around the genesis of paramedicine. So, so LA, Seattle, and interestingly enough, Vacaville and uh, Miami-Dade were the first four departments in the United States to have paramedics. So we do have that close tie with Vacaville, which is kind of neat, but really the, the, that was the foundation of what this was all about. And they realized that, you know, we, we have fire stations that are strategically located around communities and there's this, this importance on time when you think about medical emergencies, whether someone is bleeding, they're not breathing, they're having you know neurological issues, all these different things that happen. Um, it made sense to get the fire department involved because we were right there. So this, this training kind of became more and more popular and, and each year you see more departments that are becoming ALS, which stands for Advanced Life Support. We started our program in 1995. We were one of the first in the region to do it, um, but long after Vacaville, who started in the 70s, and uh, like I said, you, you see departments every year that are, are taking on that extra responsibility, but it really helps the community. So the community is in good hands. Community is in very protected. good hands, correct, good. yeah. This has been a heck of a year. This we're, has. We're coming out of a pandemic. Uh, we had uh, the LMU fire this last year. How has uh, the pandemic and last year's fires changed the ways uh, that our fire department operates, or has it? One of the nuances of our job is that we have to be able to constantly adapt. 
We, we rarely come to work and have the same day. And that's what draws a lot of people into this profession because one day you may think you're gonna do two or three things and, and your whole day gets turned around and you end up doing something different. So that's kind of a, a, our day in a microcosm. So if you expand that out over the, the past uh, 15 months or so with COVID, really it's just been an exercise in, in dealing with change. And it's, it's been a, a horrible year, obviously, for the, the tragic loss of life and all the families that have been affected, the economic impacts, and it's, it's still going on today. But it, it just caused us to, to step back and kind of reprioritize. We had to take obvious you know, actions with personal protective equipment. We had to worry about the public. We had to worry about our folks at home. We had a lot of staffing challenges with folks getting COVID and going down. Obviously, at the city level, we had to take a lead role in facilitating a safe workspace for those that, that, that stayed at work with the essential positions. But it was a, it was a challenge that we accepted. We, we, we liked that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, obviously, we, we always learn, and you never say we did a perfect job, but I'm very proud of the job that we did. And uh, I think what it really kind of emphasized at the end of the day is that, that any challenge is, is, is something that we'll take on. We'll, we'll figure out how to get through it. Well, I can tell you that we leaned on the fire department a lot as we went through the pandemic trying to find out, and, and still do, as we're trying to determine how we uh, now come out of the pandemic, mask mandates, then those things going away. And, uh, and the fire department really has been our, our go-to uh, group to, to get that information from and lean on. Thanks. Now, Fairfield, as I understand it, just received an outstanding ISO rating. Tell us what this rating means. What is that and why is that important for the people of Fairfield and the businesses in Fairfield? This is something we're very excited about. Um, every five years or so, cities receive a rating, one through 10, from an organization called the ISO. And they basically look at your overall fire protection and they give you a rating based on the quality of the entire system. And it's not just the fire department, it's water infrastructure, emergency communications, your staffing levels, your equipment. How, uh, how robust your fleet is. They look at everything in the fire department and, and they give you this rating. So it helps on several fronts. Internally, um, it, it shows us as the leaders of the fire department that our folks work in a, a department that has good equipment, they have adequate water, they have good dispatching, um, they, they work in a, in a safe a safe place. Um, for the community, it translates obviously to the safety. You know, There's an increase in safety, the higher up you go on that rating. And also, uh, financially, there's a, there's a big piece in that the ISO sets uh, the insurance rates. So the higher the ISO rating, the lower the community's uh, insurance rates will be. So traditionally, we've been an ISO of three, which is very good. Obviously, the highest is the best, uh, but, but we've been a three for a long, long time. But it, our, our city has invested in the fire department in the past five years or so, specifically in fire prevention, which gave us a really big boost in our rating. It was a piece that we really didn't have for the last 10 years after the Great Recession. So fire prevention gave us a big piece back. Um, they look at community mitigation with risk factors. Fire prevention plays a huge role in that. They're out there doing weed abatement, they're doing public education, they're looking at the fire code, they're working with new buildings, existing buildings. Um, so, so that piece really kind of pushed us over the edge as well as two other really exciting projects. One, one is our fire tower, which I know we're gonna talk about later. Uh, but that fire tower gave us another another piece in that rating, as well as the completion of uh, a secondary pipeline, which provided water um, water redundancy, basically, so that if there was a large earthquake or some sort of an accident to where one of the water systems went down, we now have a backup water system, and we can close gates and open valves and provide water anywhere in the city, no matter what's going on. So this is uh, another of many reasons why people uh, should be 
eager to buy a home in Fairfield or establish Absolutely. a business here in this this community. Absolutely, uh, is, is with that. Now you mentioned the fire tower. Yep. Uh, we we obviously had a quiet opening of the fire tower because of the pandemic. But tell us a little bit about this fire tower and what that does to enhance your ability to fight fires and and keep this community uh, safe. Yeah. So this is one of the most exciting projects in my career, um, mainly for the folks that work here because. Throughout the, the, the early years of my career, we would literally go out into open parking lots and pretend as if there was a fire. And we would pull hose and, and pretend the fire was over there and pretend there was a vehicle accident here. And, and you know, we, we, we made do, but it wasn't, it wasn't optimal. And we'd always talked about how great it would be to have a tower to go train in. And that's a traditional, um, a traditional spot that a lot of fire departments have. So we finally went into negotiations to purchase the tower. And we put that in behind the old fire station one at 1633 Union Avenue, uh, right next to the city cemetery. And this tower has proven to be one of the most invaluable assets we have. It's a four-story tower that allows us to do everything from small fires, searches, high angle rescues. Uh, our police department actually uses it. They work on clearing rooms. Uh, their canine units use it quite a bit. Um, it actually, our fire prevention has certain training props on it. It's really, really versatile in what it does. And, and like anything, the fire service is a, is a profession of practicing, practicing, practicing. So when the, the emergency finally does happen, things become second nature. You go to this phase where you just, your muscle memory takes over. And this tower gives us the ability to go out and practice and practice and practice. And, and now that I'm in a, a higher leadership position, it really warms my heart to think about people not having to pretend, which you yeah. know, wasn't great, but also just the impact that it's gonna have on both firefighter safety and community safety. Because our folks now can go out, any, the, the, the culture that we have right now is, is any one of the captains, the captains are in charge of the fire stations, any captain can just wake up one day and say, you know what, today we're gonna train. And they take their crews out there on their own. They don't have to be prompted. This is a place that is, it's a, it's a learning ground. Um, as well as a great asset for our fire academies. When we hire on new firefighters, we bring folks in and, and they'll run through a 16 to 20 week academy and we can take them out there and train all day long. Your training scenarios become far more realistic, so you're training in an environment. I mean, that thing even billows out smoke, doesn't it? Does. It does. Yeah, we have so a smoke machine. You're, you're going inside there. Yeah. You've got the low visibility from all the smoke and that kind of an atmosphere. And yeah. and, and so when you hit the real-world stuff, yep. wait a minute, I've been here before. I've been here before. This. Yeah, it's not wonderful. too familiar. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll return with Chief Luckenbach right after this. Hello Fairfield seniors, join us at the Adult Recreation Center for the popular and COVID safe curbside coffee and crafts. Stay in your car as you drive up and meet and socialize with our staff. We'll hand you a take home bag filled with a craft, coffee, snack and brain stimulating activities. This event is limited to the first 20 seniors, so hurry and register by calling 428-7421. We hope to see you at the ARC. We're back once again with Deputy Fire Chief Matt Luckenbach. So uh, Matt, fire season is upon us. Can you give us some good prevention tips for our residents and businesses? Yeah, so fire season is longer and longer. Every year it seems as if we have significant fires that start earlier and they go further into the year. So that's a challenge for obviously the firefighters, but it's, it's also a challenge for the community. So one of the things we really are, are trying to focus on is, is not being out in the smoke. 
we spent over 60 days last year in spare the air status, which, which means we had unhealthy air. And we really are telling folks to, to limit their exposure, only go out for essential travel, and that even includes their pets. Keep the pets indoors because mm. smoke at the end of the day is carcinogenic and it's very, very dangerous. A um, couple other tips that we get into, obviously, with, with fire prevention is home hardening. Um, Cal Fire has a, a Ready, Set, Go campaign that they're running right now, and it's really, really helpful. And on their website, they talk about treating your home as, as if it were in zones, zones zero, one, and, and two. And homes that are within that, or I'm sorry, the area around your home that's that zone one is basically talking about five feet to the wall of your home. And you really want to look at things like vegetation. We don't want to have trees right up on your house. We don't want to have tree branches over chimneys. We don't want to have combustible yard coverings like bark. We don't want to have landscaping, um, junipers and eucalyptus and, and brush, things that are, that are combustible because it, it just, you're just setting up the perfect storm. So we really have people look inward at themselves in their own situation and take ownership in their property. And then, you know, obviously we, we take over from the outside. The second zone is, is from five feet to 30 feet. And that area is, is again, looking at things like ground fuels that don't ladder into the trees. You'll see a lot of houses that have a very dense brush up against the house. And if fire starts on the ground, it obviously wants to go up. So if you have this laddering ability with, with low level grasses into brush and then up into the trees, you just create this perfect pathway for fire. Mm -hmm. So we tell people to limb their trees up to 10 feet and not plant a lot of ornamental stuff underneath them. And the most important part is at 30 to 100 feet, which is zone two. And that's where, for many years now, Cal Fire has been really uh, emphasizing the importance of keeping any dead vegetation down below four inches. That's why you'll see our seasonal weed abatement programs out there doing inspections of city property. And then our code enforcement department helps us with any nuisance properties around the city. So at the end of the day, what we're ultimately trying to do is remove fuel. And that's, that's really the, the, the biggest thing that you can do as a citizen to make your home and, and your, your neighborhood safer. That's great. Thank you. Now, we've also been experiencing these public, uh, these public safety power shutoffs yes. uh, over the past several years. Uh, what can our citizens do to prepare for these if they do happen again? And I guess we do expect that they'll happen uh, again. Yeah, so the, the public safety power shutdown program was instituted by PG&E. Uh, after seeing some success with a similar model down south, San Diego and in certain parts of LA did something similar several years ago. And ultimately, at the end of the day, a lot of, of energy infrastructure has been found to be the cause of some significant fires. So proactively, based on weather conditions and, and predicted events, PG&E will shut down the power to certain areas. The good news on that front is that they have made their system a little more nuanced. They can now isolate the impact. It, it's not these large swaths of population that we're seeing like we did several years ago. So when we do get the shutdowns, theoretically, we should affect uh, fewer people and less critical infrastructure for the city. So that's, that's good news on that front. But if you are in a home that is affected, there are some, some steps that are really important for you to take. And number one is, is just ties right back into FEMA. FEMA always recommends that you and your household or your business are able to survive any disaster for 72 hours without government help. And, and there's really nothing more important than that. If, if, if you can take care of yourself, your family, your pets, your business for 72 hours, that gives us as responders time to set up all the various infrastructure that's needed to support communities and businesses and pets and all those things. So some of those things include having enough water, um, having your medications ready, having a go bag packed, having somewhere to go. 
is, is important. Just knowing that, you know, if, if Fairfield's power were to go down, if you have a relative somewhere nearby that you can go to, that's a really, really helpful thing. Having plans for your pets. It's amazing how much pets impact emergencies. Mm. We'll have fires burn through places where we're, we're not wanting to be there, but people won't leave because they have horses or they have dogs yeah. or they have animals. And, and we understand that because they're, you know, obviously parts of the family, but having a plan for if that time comes and is going to affect you, whether it's a dog carrier, dog food, dog medication, cat food, cat carrier, all those things. Those are the things that we say is so be resilient for 72 hours. By then we'll be able to set up and, and get all those things. There so for 72 you. hours is critical. Yep. Be prepared for that. Yep. Be self-sufficient, self-sustaining yep. as much as possible for that. Have your yep. go bag uh, prepared so you can grab it and go. Yep. Uh, and uh, and you should be good. What about evacuations? Last year we had uh, w with with the large fire, uh, we did evacuate a, a good chunk of the city. Uh, how how do we prepare for that? What should we do? Yeah, so that's an area that we've identified that that we can do better at. As a city, we we did the best that we could, and we ended up with a very successful outcome. Um, but we really learned a lot from it. So we've actually had some some very high level meetings with our our police department, with ourselves. And, and quite frankly, with some neighbors who have had to deal with this a little more frequently than us. Some of the things that we've learned, um, the community education piece is huge. So getting out into these, these predictable neighborhoods where we, we know that the fire comes through, you know, at least every few years and, and having an education campaign and even setting up practices where we say, hey, even though it's February, we're going to pretend like there's a fire. Let's get out here and practice this because then you start to see where the system fails and it allows us to come in and realize, oh, well, that gate is a powered by electricity and electricity went out. We got to figure out how to get that gate open. Those simple things are what we really need to focus on as a city. And, and we're working on that quite extensively in our emergency operations center and, and with our PD. And then the coordination with law enforcement is really big too. The LNU taught us that we need to be early. When we, when we ring that bell, that evacuation bell, my personal experience with that was I asked to close the freeway. Well, that takes a long time, yeah. and I, I figured it would, but I didn't realize how long that took. So one of the learning points for me personally when we had our debrief, CHP told us, you know, that's an hours-long process, not something you can just do quickly. So community education, coordinating with all the partners, and then just practicing, exercising the system. That's the, the best thing you can do. Now, this past year, because of uh, the pandemic and the fires and things, we didn't have a fire open house, I guess. But we're going to do that this year, and it's in October. Yep. Tell us about that. Yeah, so actually this will be the first one we've had in four years. They wow. have been canceled for a myriad of reasons for the last three years. Uh, one time was due to smoke, another time was a PSPS, and the other time was COVID. So fingers crossed, but this year, October 3rd through October 9th, we will be hosting our, our fire open house, and that'll be out at Station 35, uh, 600 Lopes Road, across from Rodriguez High School. It's our newest fire station. It's a facility that we're very proud of. We try and move them around each year to kind of focus on a different area. But the folks out in the greater Cordelia area are just a, a great group of folks. And, and we've had one there prior, and it, it, was a, it was a hit. So October 3rd through October 9th, the theme this year, every year is a different theme, is fire safety in the kitchen. Ah. And, and the importance of that is that the, the number one cause of at-home fires is cooking. Right. So we really want to put an emphasis on just some of the little tips that you can do. And really, it, it, it helps the kids. I mean, that's oh, yeah. at the end of the day, it's you know kids that sometimes will get a little aggressive and want to make breakfast. Maybe they don't have all the, the safety tips there. So we help them out. And we have a lot of little stations where they can play with fire extinguishers and smoky and all the typical stuff. Great. Chief, we've covered a lot. Is there anything that we didn't cover that uh, you want to add to this? Yeah, just a 
really appreciate being here and, and, and really as a fire department, I'm very proud of where we're at right now. I mean, I've, I've, as you alluded to earlier, I've been here quite a while. I've seen this place grow and I've seen it get better. And that's, that's been a trend that, that makes me happy. Um, my very small role in that is, is something I'm proud of. And I think if there's, if there's one message that we can give to the citizens at the end of the day is your fire department is very capable. It's, it's uh, staffed by very, very enthusiastic, professional men and women. And we have a very bright future and we really appreciate the support of the citizens in the community. I will tell you that I've worked in uh, many cities at this point in my career, and uh, and this fire department is the best of any city I've worked for. That's so, uh, best trained. Humbling and we appreciate uh, it. Uh, the, the staffing is terrific. You guys know your stuff, and uh, we're glad you're here. Appreciate you guys and the heroes that work in our fire department. If you would like to know more, about the city's fire department, visit our website at fairfield.ca.gov fire. Thank you again for watching Talk Around Town. We'll see you next time.